everyone. This is episode two of a podcast with Carolyn and Ashley that does not have a title yet. We are your two favorite horror aunties talking about movies one of us is obsessed with, but we both enjoyed. This episode is about See You Yesterday and Carolyn. Hey, what's going on? Hey, <laughs> you know, just hanging in there as, as usual. <laughs> uh, how you doing? I'm Nah, everything and nothing is my favorite um, response. Like, I, what's yeah. going on? Everything and nothing. Yeah. So that's kind of where <laughs> I am right now. It's a, it's a good, it's a good place. I'm still working out a lot of the kinks of things, but moving forward, I'm still here. So yeah, good. Well, yeah, we need you here. So <laughs> today we're talking about See You Yesterday, and it's a 2019 film, and it was released on Netflix. It's directed by Stefan Bristol, and uh, he co-wrote it with Frederica Bailey. It was produced by Spike Lee, who was Stefan's mentor, and um, they were both Morehouse grads, so kind of interesting. And I guess, the, you know, the uh, the brotherhood there going to the same school. So um, should I just uh, give a little synopsis of the film then? Absolutely. So the synopsis of See You Yesterday uh, goes like this. CJ, played by Eden Duncan Smith, is a brilliant Brooklyn high school student and along with her best friend Sebastian, played by Dante Critchlow, devises a time-traveling or temporal relocation machine. After a few technical glitches, they successfully jump to the day before. When her brother Calvin, played by Stro-Aka Brian Bradley, gets killed by police due to mistaken identity, CJ thinks she can change his destiny by jumping back in time to save his life. So this film was a short film that featured police brutality. Um, and Stefan did this film as his thesis for at the uh, NYU Tisch School of Arts. Um, then he expanded it to a feature film. So what did you think of this film when you first saw it? Or what kind of put this film on your radar, Ashley? Just from uh, being on social media and just being... We're in tune is the best way to put it with um, what's going on as far as uh, media, television, and film that has that have that have and has black leads, and so of course and of course this is genre sci-fi, fantasy, all that kind of stuff. So it was on our radar, and you know Shadow and Act and all those um, bigger, more um, black-oriented publications really uh, have put a lot of focus on not just drama and comedies, but also genre film. I know. Tambayo Benson, who I believe started Shadow and Act, he's, again, one of the first people who was talking about, you know, um, black women and directing horror movies and things like that. And like he was he's always had a real interest in um, genre film. So I think, you know, after kind of moving on to IndieWire and, you know, have Shadow, Shadow and Act is now in different edit, uh, different editors hands. They even they're still that spirit still kind of moves forward. So that's, I think that's where I first heard about CU yesterday. And I was like, oh, okay, it's going to be on Netflix. I'll check it out again. Um, of course for me, the hierarchy is, you know, horror than sci-fi. So, you know, I was, just, it was kind of just like that, that kind of cadence I had was like, oh, okay. When I see it, when I have an opportunity to watch it on Netflix, I will definitely see it. So I did watch it and I, I enjoyed it. Um, again, I not love it or anything like that, but um, I really did like it. Yeah. I I think I'm kind of a sci-fi fantasy nerd first and then horror, um, because that's what I was raised on. I read a lot of um, sci-fi and fantasy books as a kid. So, um, and I especially like time travel. 
and I thought that was kind of cool that there was, you know, at first I saw this young black girl as like the main character and I was like, what? Because people don't really take risks like that. So then I had to look up. I'm like, was the director black? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> when I found out he was black. So um, I was totally behind this. And while it's not a perfect film, I think it really showcases like a, a, a nice pocket of black life it kind of um gives you like this regular view of like black life in brooklyn you know it just really spoke to me in that way and i did i heard about it i think it was online as well because i think i was just scrolling through twitter and uh, i'm like oh my god look at this so i think that's where i kind of got wind of it either that or i was scrolling through netflix and i saw like you know how they have their little previews i think i saw it there so it was one of the two. So what did you like about the film and what did you not like about it? I don't know if there's anything I can think of, think of off the top of my head that I didn't like about it. Um, I guess the first thing is, I'm not sure if the director is from New York City, but I think the way the film is styled and the energy of the film and the way it was shot really does feel like New York City. I think the film did a really great job in showing a character with a motivation and ambition to change things for the better. But I think this is a hard uh, concept that I'm, that I'm grasping is the idea is you can try, you can try to change things for the better and you can do everything that you can in your power and your ability. But at the end of the day, you're not in control, I guess mm-hmm. is the best way to put it. I feel like, again, we're kind of coming back to that theme of, not control in a traditional sense, cosmic in a sense, uh, or abstract way of thinking about control and thinking about um, the things in our lives that, you know, we're going to lose people. We're going to, things, things are going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. If you put it in the broader perspective, the, the broader theme that it tackles, which is police brutality, this is a, this is a history that it has hundreds of years behind it. And I don't think the movie is tragic in that. I don't think I, I don't think it's trying to leave us with a sense of complete tragedy because I think the ending was kind of beautiful in a way because there's still this this dare or this persistence for hope and opportunity. But I do think it kind of it kind of gives us this. I don't know. This was this is really hard. This is really hard for me to kind of grasp on my own. Well, you know, he um, there's a really great interview on YouTube uh, with Stefan. Um, it's on the SAG AFTRA Foundation channel, and uh, what's her name? Her name is uh, Lindui Davis. So she interviews him, and he actually talked a lot about the ending. And um, he said he got dragged for it because, like, what kind of ending is this? You know, you can't leave it like this. But he's like, really, it's it's one of the more realistic endings because. He says, and I think we're we're jumping ahead, but that's fine because I think we're again we're going to be all over the place when we're discussing this film. He says that he's leaving it open ended because you can't have a happy ending because it hasn't happened yet. And also, he says that CJ is looking to us to continue the fight against you know injustice. And I thought that was really is really touching because he made the film. Because, I mean, he loves sci-fi and he, he's a nerd. He said he's a self-professed nerd and, and he loves, you know, time travel and, and he was very interested in it. But also to make it about something important, 
um, I think that was a really beautiful thing that he did. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And um, he also said that he actively sought out a black female writer um, because he said the main protagonist is a young black woman. So to him, that was extremely important to get the voice right. And I, this is just an aside, but I really wish that filmmakers and script writers and and people out there in the film industry would take that model and hire people who are actually representing the voice of the character, you know, like it just, it's such a simple concept. And um, they ended up winning uh, the best first screenplay at the Independent Spirit Awards for 2020. So, you know, it's simple. (laughs) It's simple. (laughs) It's very simple. Um, You know, all of these sentiments are nice, but don't say anything, just do it. Just, you know, hire people, give black content creators opportunities because if you give them opportunities and give them room to really tell the stories the way they want to tell them and how they want to tell it, then things like see you yesterday happen. And the one thing I do think that's going to be good for this film is that a lot of younger um, black and brown kids are going to see it and really you know, they they get to have their The Goonies and Back to the Future and all of those. They This is a film like those films that speak to them. Like, we grew up in the 80s. I grew up in the 80s. You're a little bit older than me, Carolyn. Not too much older, <laughs> but a little bit older than me. So in the 80s, it was like all white kids were all going on adventures. And mm-hmm. now this newer generation is going to be able to see kids who look like them who are having these adventures. Um, they're a little loaded, but also the harsh reality of black and brown kids is that like every parent is going to have to have that conversation about this very subject matter. And a film like this balances seeing yourself, but also giving you the message of the way your life is going to be and digesting it um, and understanding it, you know, and this is, and this is not just kids, this is not just for kids in Brooklyn or any kind of um, city space, but also rural and places around the world. Well, exactly. And he references Back to the Future as one of the films that he watched to cope with uh, alcoholism in his family. So, you know, pulling back on that kind of 80s culture where you only see white, you know, white kids triumphing and and dealing with things. It's, you know, it's a very it's it's like a thing that we we kind of absorb. And then we don't see ourselves in these positions. For instance, um, Stefan was saying that he's never seen black people in a time travel film. And he wanted to put, he just wanted to write a story with black people time traveling. Because he did actually say that, um, I think he was saying that there's a TV show called Timeless with with a black character. And that character said, you know, it's kind of difficult for black people realistically to time travel. (laughs) Because there's no era that we would be safe in right so (laughs) (laughs) so I'm like that's a very good point but for him to create this story where a girl travels you know within her time within her timeline like maybe a day or two back like that is completely feasible right um in terms of if you're going to write a time travel story about black people doing that and why not have it serve us instead of trying to change history or doing something that kind of bombastic where, you know, I'm going to change history. Whereas she just wants to save her brother's life. So, you know, that he kind of whittled it down to make it something that's really important. And 
he actually going back to back to the future there's a cameo of michael j fox as right. uh, their teacher and i thought that was really sweet and apparently as the story goes uh, michael j fox uh, he wrote michael j fox a letter and uh, michael j fox just said sure he didn't even read the script he's like i'll do it so i really love that he just went got on board with the film and just as a little side note Michael J. Fox is the token white person, and he's not mad. <laughs> you no. know? Like, I thought that was kind of, I was really cool that he's really, and he supported this film, you know, without even having to read the script. So it's, it's kind of a nerdy 80s throwback that is kind of heartwarming. Absolutely. I definitely, of course, if you if you were alive in the 80s, everyone knew about Back to the Future, even if you didn't see it, and even knew the phrase, the great Scott that he does say in the film too, that's 1,000% like, yeah, that it's so, because you see him in the beginning of the film, you're just like, oh yeah, this totally makes sense. And she's reading a book on time travel in class right before the bell rings and summer is out, school's out for summer. I was going to say, um, just to piggyback off of what you were talking about, I think um, Sebastian does make a point to tell CJ, I'm just like, okay, we're going to do this. Let's not go back too far because like like he put, like he it's in the script where, yeah, they're not trying to change history. And I, re- I really, that's a really novel um, idea. And I'm not saying that in a patronizing way. I'm, I really do earnestly mean that because there might be a grandiose idea that may say, oh, they should go back in time, time and try to change things, which is, which, which in concept, thinking about it now and where we are in today's society, that sounds absolutely absurd. But mm-hmm. I do think it's interesting. I don't know if you watched Sleepy Hollow um, a few yes. years back, but... <laughs> It was hilarious because so Abby, because it did have a, a black female protagonist in the f- front and center, and there's a little bit of time travel was was a little t- um, bit of time travel in that show. She goes back to like colonial times or something like that, and I don't know about any uh, every anybody else, but I I'm pretty sure most of most if not all of the black people watching this, we were holding our breaths, and I sure enough noticed on Twitter a lot of people who were not black, like oh my god, this looks great, and we're just like, are you kidding? Like I'm, I'm in my house thinking to myself, do you not remember? Do you not have any kind of idea of what happened to black women during this time? Like, <laughs> I, mean, I, I just kind of having those inner thoughts while I was watching and seeing the live tweet stream at the same time and seeing a, a chasm between how black viewers are seeing it and how non-black um, viewers are seeing it. So I think I think time travel is really. Um, a tricky thing when you're when you're centering um, black people and I don't know I think the new movie Ante- Antebellum is going to deal with that too and I'm kind of already eye rolling because I don't think it has any black female writers or directors so Ooh. Ooh. you know so, yeah <laughs> this is one of the more valiant efforts that we have that is you know 100% black in a sense absolutely like I 100% agree with that because y- y- it's like Watching film while black, you kind of cringing, you know, <laughs> you see something coming, you're like, Ugh. and I actually didn't feel this way. It just, yeah, it was just nice to have something for us, you know, but I wanted to steer the uh, conversation towards CJ and her character. And I just would like to say that if I was a little kid watching this movie, she would be my hero because you know, she's a, she's a little bit, she's got a bit of a temper. She stands up for herself and she's going to speak her mind 
I mean, sometimes she speaks without thinking, but I really wish that I, I had a movie like this when I was a kid to see this black female character stand up for herself. Because I, I had a lot of trouble doing that. So what did you think about uh, CJ? Yeah, her mom makes a, a poignant point when she's talking to her. I think she's talking about her father who, in, her, in, the, in this movie, he had passed away already. I think he was in some, he was either some sort of military service. And her mother tells her, you're like, in a sense, like you're stubborn, just like your father, but she says it in a very endearing way, not in a way to um, ridicule her or uh, insult her or to put her down. Um, it's, it's, a, it's that stubbornness that she has is that's a real strong part of her spirit. And again, when you were talking about what the director was trying to do with the, with the ending of the film, she's a fighter mm-hmm. and it takes a lot of courage to be a fighter and it takes a lot of ambition to again, be a scientist. I think Neil deGrasse Tyson, who I know is a problematic person, but also, but like, I think other people and other scientists have talked about, you know, if I saw black scientists when I was growing up, maybe I would have gone into that field or maybe, you know, it's crazy that I'm I'm reading Lovecraft Country. I'm almost finished. And Mm -hmm. one of the characters really is a science nerd, like loves the cosmos, like loves all things astronomy and her character when she was little um i think she was on some sort of a tour at a planetarium or she was in class i forget which one it was either one of those um forgive me i'm muddled on the details but her the mm-hmm. white man the white man at, at the helm or kind of talking about stuff she was like well negro women don't do science or negro women are not in the sciences and i'm paraphrasing but that's mm-hmm. the kind of like you know this 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 book takes place in like 1954 around that time so you know, it's unfortunately, I'm sure women or young girls who were like that heard that all of the time. And I think there's still a little bit of that even still. So that's, of course, that's definitely one of the reasons why I really wanted to watch this movie is because you see these two black kids who like not only love science, but know their shit and like, or have been able to, they invented something that could change the course of human history. That's big. And I think that's, you tell me, because I was I'm always grappling with this. Um, we're not grappling with. I think just trying to understand the concept of Afrofuturism and the bigger thing. Afrofuturism to me always kind of seemed like this space where you have these black creatives that are really putting black people at the center. Like we're putting ourselves into the future because we know we belong there. We know we have a right to be there. If you're a Pan Africanist, you're like we are the cradle of civilization, so we are the future. Like you know what I mean? Like that's a that's an empowering statement. Yeah, absolutely. Because we're inserting ourselves in the future. Because you know, I've read countless sci-fi books where I'm like, oh, okay, and it's just like I said before, you absorb that we are not included in the future until I um, came across Octavia Butler. And then that kind of blew my mind. I'm like, wait a minute, we can be? I've been thinking about this lately. And it's just like, we absorb so much white culture that it's so hard to untrain ourselves to include ourselves in the future. Because we just, I just kind of a default, like, oh, it's white people. Oh, it's white people. And you really have to untrain yourself to start seeing yourself in the narrative of life, of work, of the spaces that you you live and create in. So that's why Afrofuturism is so important because we see ourselves in the future 
we can call on the past to include it in our future. There's so much within Afrofuturism. So yeah, I think CJ represents that in a huge way. Even when she goes to, you know, um, her teacher uh, at the beginning of the film, and she's like, you know, I think I deserve a better mark. I would never have done that as a kid. I would never have done that because I would have been too terrified because I'm thinking, well, you know, I have this white supremacy ingrained in my head thinking the teacher knows best. Meanwhile, I might have gotten a bad mark because the teacher just assumed that I'm not going to do well, you know? So to, to see her just doing that simple thing going, you know what? I did this work. I deserve a better mark to like stand up to her ex-boyfriend to, um, and it's funny because um, the director wanted CJ as a character to show kids that they have to be unapologetically black and not to give up fighting for what you want. So that is huge. And I, I can't really think, oh, I can't think of anyone as a kid when I was growing up that had kind of had that. I mean, maybe my mom, because she used to tell off my teachers all the time. <laughs> but, you know, like other than that, uh, there is no no one in really popular culture. Oh, and maybe Valerie uh, from uh, what's her name? Valerie from Josie and the Pussycats. She was <laughs> she was the smartest out of everybody. She was always devising the plan, and I was like, wow, you know. So there's like a couple of maybe a handful of characters or people that I kind of saw speaking up as a black woman. So yeah, I don't know. I just I really liked her character. Also. They named her after Madame C.J. Walker. Yeah, Yeah, the first self-made black woman, millionaire, activist, hair care entrepreneur. So I think that she's still, her brand is still going, is it? Isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. That, I think that was like one of the first, you know, check marks for me. (laughs) And then um, you want to talk about Sebastian as well. Yeah, so is he Jamaican or? So his family is from Guyana. And, Diana, right, right. Yeah, and he, to me, represents the good Caribbean child. Um, wow, what does yeah. that mean? <laughs> well, you know, a lot of families, they, the grandparents are kind of the rule makers, you know, because a lot of the times, like, for instance, when my family moved to uh, Canada, um, uh, fun fact, I was actually born in Brooklyn, Um and then we lived in New York for about, maybe until I was about three. And then we moved to Canada when I was four. And throughout all of that, my dad's mother, my grandmother, she kind of looked after the family. So you have that grand matriarch of the family where granny looks after the kids and granny will help your parents. And, you know, she's like a the head of the family in, in, a, in a way. So... When I saw Sebastian living with his grandparents, I, it to me, it was like, oh, okay, because uh, his parents died. Um, so he lived with his grandparents, and he was a good kid. He listened to his grandparents. Um, I don't know, just that, that there's an obedience that is really driven home in a West Indian family to respect your elders. And I know it, it cuts across many cultures. But in my experience, you respect your elders, you listen to what they say. Yeah, it just seemed like he was like a typical obedient Caribbean child, <laughs> you know. And then when he kissed his teeth or when he's the sucking of the teeth, you got in trouble for doing that. You couldn't do that to an older person. You get in so much trouble. That's a sign of disrespect. 
And he's like, oh, no, yeah. no, you know, <laughs> so. No, it's funny. I noticed that, too, when um, Claudette, she, CJ, when she did it, when she came in and her mother said, oh, you have to do the dishes. And she sucked her teeth and her mother. And I love the like the look her mother and the woman who's the wo- woman who's getting her, her hair done by her mother. Look at her like, what did you just do with your mouth? And they didn't have to say anything. And she was just like, oh, no, no, no. I didn't do that to you. Like, I that's totally. Listen. Because it is one of those reactions again where I'm watching something and I'm like, and I see a black child do something that I know a black parent or black elder would take offense to and be like, ooh, <laughs> like, yep. I, yeah, you better re, you better redirect that real quick. But yeah, so I, I, it's one of those other things that I felt in my soul because yep. I, I too knew not to suck my teeth in front of my mother. <laughs> oh I my did it long out of ear distance. Yes, exactly. And you know what I also I loved about Sebastian too? Well, um, another thing I felt in my soul is that he took, when his grandmother was like, you're making so much noise and there's explosions in the garage and you better clean this up. And I, and he just kind of took it. And I'm like, I felt that because that's just what you got to do it. Just got to take when granny gets mad. <laughs> I thought that was really sweet. And I really like that you know how in films, like, the guy is making all the rash decisions and doing all these things, and the woman is the voice of reason? Well, here, the roles have reversed, and Sebastian is the voice of reason, you know? And yes. I thought that was kind of a, a cool role reversal. Yeah, not surprising either. Like, one of the more popular iterations of that is Mulder and Scully from the X-Files. Like, she's the science logical one and he's driven by a belief in something that he hasn't seen or that he speculates he's had some experience with so yeah I mean again totally different stories but the same kind of mindset goes along with it too my other favorite tv show was the American same deal where a husband and life team she was the one who was more like a little bit like attached from this American culture that they've had to live in for so long because they're Russian spies but he her husband was the more kind of like you know I kind of like the comfort of this I'm getting in touch with my feelings he went to Est and she you know made fun of it because she's just you know real old school like a Russian woman like you know hard knock and it's and again I'm, I think these are I'm just making it a, a like a broad comparison but like I think that you're absolutely right I think it is the same I didn't even think of that oh my goodness um but you're right about like CJ and Sebastian that that that's kind of how they they how they operate and I also kind of love the idea that um they're just friends she's you know she has interest in boys and I think he has interest in girls I don't think that's overly expressed but I do just like that they are friends and working partners and but they have a they have a deep love for each other and mm-hmm. come to find out when I was um looking around on the internets about this film like they are actually in real life lifelong friends like they have known each other since they were very like babies essentially that's so awesome I think that's really sweet and like there's that line where they make up after a fight and she he she's like I love you black man he's like I love you black woman and I'm like oh (laughs) you know like it's so sweet and that you know and that's probably why they play off of each other so well and I do like that they didn't push any kind of romantic attachment between them because it's like they're family to each other you know and it's yeah and it wasn't it just wasn't that movie either I do have a bone to pick about Eduardo though played by Jonathan Nieves he just seemed kind of like a stereotype and that kind of bothered me a little bit 
I don't know if maybe Stefan knew someone in his real life that was like that. And so maybe he's based on another character or that actual person. But I just thought that he was a little over the top for like a, you know, Latino, like Latin lover type guy. Like, oh, you know, I'm going to take you out. And, you know, you're my, you know, you're a beautiful woman. It, it, it seemed a little bit over the top to me, but that was CJ's love interest. And, you know, she actually did like him. So his overtures weren't uh, un, like they, they weren't uh, obnoxious in that way. Like he wasn't pushing himself on her in an obnoxious way. Uh, it was it was written as a really lighthearted thing, but I also feel like it was uh, a little stereotypical. That's just my two cents, but you know. So his comic relief was too much for you. I felt like it was because then it led to a little bit of unevenness because there was like this com you know comedic relief and then something really serious happens. And then, you know, I, I felt like there could have been more, he could have dropped it down a notch because there was a scene where he, sh he they, they go to Eduardo for um, some equipment and uh, he shows them the equipment. It's in this golden briefcase and they have like this, you know, angelic music when he opens it. And it just was a little uneven because it's like, she's going back in time to try and save her brother's life. And then it was just, 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 you know, a little thing that kind of bugged me a little. But overall, I mean, I love the movie. It was just that kind of got on my nerves a little. What was I going to say about him? I, I didn't, yeah, I didn't mind him all that much. I think it's, yeah, he, he plays on this, um, on this kind of like tail end of a spectrum maybe of comic relief and over the top. But it's hilarious because I totally knew boys like that growing <laughs> up. Okay, um, so. <laughs> so, and I, I guess just from kind of understanding in general, I think that he is just, I, I think that's just one mode of, of him, obviously. Like there's <laughs> several other modes that he operates on, but he's just one of those extroverted people that just kind of out and loud and stuff like that. And I do, I, I feel like I see a pattern with that, especially a lot of many um, more lighthearted dramas or comedies that are based in New York City, where they are casting people that have that that New York vibe to them. I don't know if that's the right word. Forgive me, but um, I just see a lot, like, especially especially like because this because Stefan is a Spike Lee disciple in a sense. So you know, mm -hmm. having having characters like that in his films, if you are so hardcore about you know the 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 body of Spike Lee's work, this doesn't surprise me, especially true. Yes. Especially like older Spike Lee, he has characters like that. Even the Mars that was on the She's Gotta Have It Netflix series, that's kind of Eduardo. So Right. This is very true. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, this is very true. Yeah. But oh, I don't know. Something about yeah, you know I like I don't like romance movies. Like I just I just made had that realization this year. But <laughs> I do I don't know, I just I always like and he he's a kid. So and they're all kids and they're all rash and they all do crazy things and make mm -hmm. silly silly, stupid decisions and and do silly things. So I thought Eduardo's affection for CJ was really kind of endearing. I really always kind of just like seeing black women be desired in not like a creepy or fetish way. Like I just I I've yeah. always, I always enjoy seeing that. Absolutely. And then there was that really sweet moment where CJ's um, 
at Eduardo's house when they're they're asking him when her and Sebastian are asking him for that piece of equipment and she kind of spies him taking care of his grandmother his abuela and he's like you know rubbing her feet and you know she's like oh you know that CJ she's a she's a nice girl and he's just like he's so sweet to her so it's true that's just one kind of over the top facet of his personality but yeah I think there was a very tender scene with him and his grandmother so and just one mistake one mistake I want to correct I mean I meant black girls because CJ is a black girl she is not Mm -hmm. yet a black woman I like Mm -hmm. to make that distinction um long story short I'm sure you know Carolyn just for anybody who's who's ever listening there's there's this perception and there's been studies done about how black kids are perceived unfortunately we have the one of the biggest examples right now is Tamir Rice, like, or just the idea that black boys can't be boys. They're, they're automatically assumed to be bigger and broader than that. They, that they are like these boys just can't be boys. These children just can't be children because they're black. And the same thing goes with um, little black girls too. So I always like Mm -hmm. the distinction between black girls and black women, because I think black children deserve to have a fruitful and healthy childhood and, childhood <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to say that oh absolutely and i think um the kudos goes to the wardrobe as well for this film they're dressed like kids you know yeah they're just like kids they've got t-shirts really cute t-shirts um representing like their love of you know their nerd culture um they you know they've they're wearing like backpack like they are kids because i feel like this movie is for kids, even though it deals with a very sobering subject matter, it's for kids, you know? And that's probably on me where some of the things kind of like got on my nerves because I'm an old lady. So, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, I think this movie is first and foremost for kids or should be shown to kids, especially black children to show that they are, they are viable. And actually there's a point I wanted to make because um, I was just thinking about black people in STEM, science, uh, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And I actually, when I was going down the rabbit hole on the interwebs, I found um, a study uh, done in 2019 called Examining Racial Ethnic Gaps in Persistence Across Post-Secondary Fields. So they were basically looking at why Black and Latinx students were leaving the STEM disciplines in in university and colleges. And um, there's a term called opportunity hoarding. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. I've never heard of it. And it's a sociological concept utilized by Charles Tilley in 1998. I'm going to read the definition. And it's uh, used to explain a growing range of phenomenon related to social inequality. It concerns the control of resources defined in any number of ways that allow certain groups to exclude others from the access to said resources or benefits accruing to them. So basically, it's like if you're if you come from a wealthy white family, your father went to, say, Harvard, you're going to have a better chance getting into Harvard because your father went to Harvard. So if you're from the Bronx and you want to go to Harvard, you're going to have less of a chance. Um, so and it's also um, is it the Felicity Huffman scandal? where mm-hmm. they, they get their children in because of who they are. So that is basically opportunity hoarding. And that's, pro- they they couldn't find um, a reason. I don't know. I feel like the study was kind of not 
really fleshed out, but they didn't give a reason for why these Black and Latinx students were leaving the discipline. They speculated that perhaps they wanted to put their efforts towards social issues and, you know, being activists and that sort of thing, or it's because they felt excluded and had to form their own communities. So there, that's that was a really interesting thing. I kind of went down that rabbit hole and, and just trying to figure out, you know, Black students and, and Latinx students are really they're often excluded. And there's, I looked up another kind of offshoot, and there are organizations for Black physicists, Black chemists, Black engineers, like they have these communities for themselves. So I thought that was kind of, um, you know, hopeful as well, that they kind of group together and hold themselves up and, and unite as a front of people of color in STEM. So I thought that was kind of fascinating. So CJ is another kind of icon to represent that as well. And Stefan was saying, like, even though he knows that, you know, there are characters in film that are musicians and, you know, they're into um, sports and that sort of thing, he wanted to show kids that you could be a science nerd, you know? So I don't know, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, and there are plenty of um, organizations and spaces that are starting out young. So I think and I think they're, they're doing curating and cultivating these kind of safe, these safe spaces for black and brown kids right now who are interested in STEM and giving them the opportunities and um, opening up the resources to them now so that they are more prepared when they go into college. So pro- so maybe things things like them dropping out when they get to a college or university doesn't happen. I think if kids have a healthy foundation early, not just like, again, not just giving them the resources, but also, you know, they're, they're, that's what intersections are, right? So if you're a person in STEM, but you're also a person of color in STEM, you're going to have to grapple with um, racism and white supremacy like non-Black and brown people don't. So um, there, here, here's the resources and opportunities to give you the confidence that you need to um, perfect your your career path or your vision for what you want um for what what you want your profession to be but then here's also these kind of tools for you're in this program because you are black and brown so we have to give you the additional again opportunities and resources to understand how the system works and it's not the ball's not in your court so how do you navigate these spaces in a way where you can still maintain your integrity your dignity and you know you know, unfortunately, I hate to use the word fight, but fight your way through if that's possible. I think I, I, I would assume that's how these things move. Like, I am not a STEM person in any way, shape, form, or fashion, but I do hear about Black and STEM quite a bit. And I know there are strides being made for younger folks. Yeah, it's absolutely. Yeah, I'm not, I am not a STEM person. <laughs> My mother was really good with numbers and I really wish I inherited that, but <laughs> I inherited the artistic side from my dad's um, side of the family. But yeah, my mother was so good with numbers and she would just be able to like do things in her head and like, oh no, that's wrong. And oh, I, I really, I do wish I got that bit from her, but it, it, you know, I mean, black people have enough issues navigating the arts world. So can you imagine what it's like in the in the scientific and math world? Like it's insane. So I'm really glad that A, even though the study couldn't come up with a concrete answer why students of color weren't finishing their STEM degrees, at least they did the study 
and that's open and then everything else that you said right there um you know it's hopeful and we we need more black kids seeing this type of representation in see you yesterday and these kids were confident it wasn't like they were um tentative about their skill in science these kids knew what they were doing and i think that's extremely important to show these kids showing confidence you know cj asking for a better mark disputing between themselves like no this theory is right this theory is right like to show them in a discourse about science that's like huge um and i have one more point to bring up to you did you feel there was a connection to that Jordan Peele Twilight Zone episode replay? Did you feel like there was a connection with Sanaa Lathan? Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I, you guess yeah. that would be like, it would be like that Twilight Zone episode would be the, like it would be a good double feature, right? Like that would be yeah. like, you know how you go to a film festival and sometimes they show a short before the main for right. the presentation. That, I think they complement each other in that way. So yes, because it's like similar subject matter dealing with it deals with time travel in a way where some where some person tries to change the course of what has already happened in order to reverse it so order and it all deals with a, co- a confrontation with a police officer or several police officers who then shoot someone they shouldn't have that should not have been a suspect um, that did not have a weapon but just was a suspect just because they were black and in a specific space spot on the street one day and that mm-hmm. basically was what happened to you yesterday and that kind of sort of happens in replay as well it's been a while since i've seen it but uh, yeah yeah and i thought it was great that there were um both see you yesterday and that episode replay um they're black female protagonists so black women or girls are trying to control their fate and that's important as well even though we really can't control you know fate it shows them being active in 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 trying to make something better or go towards a better world you know and I, i think that's really important too and i think they're you know it's very they're very timely pieces and need to be watched over and over again for the people in the back, <laughs> yeah. you know. So yeah, I don't know. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on? No, just briefly wanted to kind of co-sign. Yeah, that Black women are uh, almost always at the center of these uh, narratives. Like you know, they are the founders of Black Lives Matter. Uh, they are always at the center. Like it's like I, I I have this conversation with you all the time. Like I kind of was moved by I think John Boyega, him out uh-huh. him out there in England, his his passion I thought was really genuine, and his shout out to black women I thought was very genuine because people ignore us all the time, um, and that's and if you don't, and if you, I honestly think if you're not a black woman, you really are not going to understand what that really means. No, what it really means to be overlooked and to be ignored, because it's not as simple as it may automatically seem. Those 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 words, is it's really something that is. It, it's 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 really it's really really hard to explain. I, I I thought I had the words, but I didn't. But the affirmations from especially other black men. Mm-hmm. I will say this, not to go, all, not to completely go off the rails, but I'm, I'm, con- I want to connect this. I swear. But I was watching the Russell Simmons documentary last night, and 
one of his accusers had mentioned taking taking a trip to Ghana with her father. And she talked about that famous, I forget what it's, I forget what the castle is called. I believe it's a castle, but it was a space where they kept the Africans that they were going to enslave and take to the Americas or one of the islands. And they talked about how some of the, like, you know, some, some, some of the white men who were there who were capturing women, it could be like, you know, people with more high statuses, but also people who were going to be slave catchers or um, people who were like, you know, security essentially manning the, um, these people who were going to be enslaved or who were already captured and talking about how a lot of these women were raped and the black men or the African men that tried to fight these, try to protect these women were taken to another portion of this this castle and they were put there because they were going to be murdered. And I can't help but think it it, it blew it blew my mind, but it didn't blow my mind because it feels like oh my god, this is this was this is this is how diabolical it is. This has been systematic. When we have these conversations and we are really frustrated with the fact that like we are grappling with a system where black men don't even want to protect us or don't even see us as valuable. They this was by design. Like this is like you you know there's this idea especially in 2020 where we can think and we can fathom that the, the that the idea that you know Black men don't love us. Black men don't appreciate us. We're having these kind of we're not, not you know, you know what I mean. Like there's nuances to this conversation, but we're mm-hmm. also talking in these broad with these broader terms. But literally, if they tried to defend us, they were murdered, and it probably happened once they got on the boat and got here too. You know, I'm just looking, just thinking about CJ, and you know, just or just I, I, I don't know. I just feel like all of this is all all of this is connected, and I think. You know, hearing hearing John Boyega says we need to we need to love black women. That's that that's an, that's a that's an echo that needs to kind of just complete continue to reverberate, and that needs that's all that needs to be said. I don't know. I forget what he said verbatim. It's online, obviously, but like he just said, we need to love black women. We need to appreciate them, and I just wish that just was. I just that would continue to vibrate because I think these younger generations need to hear it because. You know, now we're seeing people are taking doing videos all the time, and it's sad to see a little black girl is getting her hair done, crying and saying and thinking that she's ugly. Yeah, but yeah. this is the system that we're immersed in, and to come full circle, I think, like like you had literally just said, like films like See You Yesterday, these you know black and brown kids need to see this if mm-hmm. for anything else because because again it it all goes back to it all goes back to those. West African countries and other countries that were um, unfortunately a part of the transatlantic slave trade. It all, it literally goes back to that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, going back to that video, you were talking about the little girl thinking she was ugly. That broke my heart because I was told all the time that I was ugly and my skin was dirty. We were talking about this earlier, just being told that you're not worthy of love or you're not attractive or what have you, and then being felt like you were invisible. I mean, even being paid less than your coworkers, even though you're doing the same job. My mother went through that, you know? And, you know, it's like they take our invisibility and they throw it back at us. And it's really exhausting. So to see John Boyega get on that, you know, megaphone and say, respect and love your black women. And actually, it's funny because I I saw a thread 
on Twitter and it made me laugh because someone's like, oh yeah, John Boyega, let me see, do you have a black girlfriend? And he goes, oh, here, you want me to give you my my ex-girlfriend's phone number? And he goes, don't try me. He was like yeah. on them. And I thought that was really funny because he's like, don't don't try to challenge me. That also was, is, was really, um, it was really funny and sweet at the same time. So yeah, I... I don't know, man. People just gotta again realize we're here and we're we're smart and we have a point of view that is unique and needs to be seen. Absolutely, and I think yeah, this this film does a really great job of that. Of course, we're we're old women, so for a younger generation, it's really gonna <laughs> it's really gonna it's really gonna slap for them. Yeah. I hope so, because, I mean, if it did for us, and we're kind of like, you know, if I'd seen this when I was 12, you know? Stefan, he actually said that his mother remortgaged the house so she could help him finance this film, as well as Spike Lee's sponsorship. So he holds Black women close to his heart as well. So I had to give him a shout out for that. And also hiring, again, a Black female writer to be an authentic voice for his black female protagonist that speaks to speaks like volumes so yeah hats off to him yeah 1000 percent. i keep saying that but yeah it's, <laughs> like, it's like can we be your auntie stefan <laughs> <laughs> oh my god well i guess is that it that's it for me I'll- okay well that's our talk on see you yesterday um ashley where can people find you at Ashley Takes Note on Twitter. All right. And you can find me at VFD Pixie on the Twitters um, and at View from the Dark. I'm still doing my Afrofuturism series. So there will be some uh, posts coming up in the next little while. And everybody stay safe. Hello. Bye.